what better way to kick off, off Christmas than starting to think through all those things that you have to do. All of your traditions that you've got planned, all of, I mean, that's, that's Becky and our family. We are huge into those Christmas traditions as a family. And one of them, it's a relatively new tradition for us. We've only done it the last couple years, is uh, we were given as a gift this beautiful uh, wooden Christmas tree. Beautiful wooden Christmas tree, and it acted as a calendar where all the way through the month of December, not just through Christmas, but all the way through the month of December, uh, were cl uh, little clothesline clips. And on those clothesline clips, we would put these little bags, these little brown bags, and in each one of those bags was a cool thing to do as a family. It might be uh, make a snowman or something, which we know how much snow we get here in Georgia, so we would tweak it a little bit, maybe paint a snowman. Uh, it would be like have a snowball fight, and so we would get wads of paper and have a big snowball fight as our family. It might be read a portion of the Christmas story as a family. It could be any number of things, and they're all random. We wouldn't know what they are. We put them in kind of randomly throughout these bags and throughout the month, so our kids love it. They'd run down to this wooden Christmas tree and, and pull off whatever day it was, and here's what we get to do as a family. Here's what we get to do for Christmas, because we know we get busy and we forget to do all those fun things as a family. So that's been great for us in our tradition. That's been our plan, is what do we do in the month of December? Well, whatever the wooden Christmas tree tells us to do. That's how we would dictate our plans. Now, I'll tell you, our plans have had to change a little slightly this year. Um, we've had, we have a, uh, a new addition to our family. Um, not, no, it's my daughter. She's still relatively new to us. And uh, she found our wooden Christmas tree this year. And so uh, what was a beautiful Haas family tradition is now going to probably just go in the trash because she, over the course of the last week, has pulled off not just one, but three of our five Christmas tree pieces along with all of the other stuff that is supposed to go on it. And so uh, I, I was talking with Becky. I was like, well, what are we going to do? We, we have no December anymore. Like, you feel, you feel lost when you have something that you have planned on, and then all of a sudden, someone, not to mention names, Collins, decided to go in and just destroy the Haas family Christmas. I won't tell her that, but that's the way it felt. <laughs> so we're left with, well, what do we do now, right? The what do we do now is a common question, not just for the holidays, but what do we do now is a question we tend to ask quite a bit. And that question comes from a place of, I've had my plans, I have my ideas, I have where, where I'm planning to go, what I'm planning to do, and then some unknown force of chaos enters your life. For many of us, that's a one-year-old. For others of us, that is a job change, it's a job loss, it's, it's loss in general, it's a death in the family. Any one of those factors that you cannot plan for, those are going to happen, and when they insert and interrupt themselves into our lives, we're left with asking, well, now what? What are we supposed to do now? How am I going to do it? How am I going to make it now? There's several responses you can have with that question of, well, what am I going to do now? When your plans don't go the way that you had planned them or the way that you thought they should have go, the way that you were praying and hoping that they would go, we can be very frustrated and disappointed. That tends to be our first response, just the initial response. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm upset. You have that emotional response. But then we have a choice on how we truly begin to walk that out. Do we push against it? No, we're going to make this happen. And I started there. I pulled that tree out when she had only pulled one thing. I said, ah, I can fix it. And kind of the, the rusty looking nails, you know, you put them back in there. And once again, like two days later, the whole thing was off again. So sometimes we, we push back 
And we try to make it work. We try to force it to work. No, this is my plan. This is the way it's going to happen. I don't care who's in the way. I'm going to try to make it happen. We try to force our way through it. The other way we can walk that through is, is through apathy. We shrug our shoulders and say, whatever, don't care, whatever. There's another way, though, that, that doesn't always seem to be an option, and that's a way of peace. It's a way of peace. It's hard to understand how the plans that don't work out can also lead you into a place of peace. But as we're going to see this morning, we're going to walk through part of the Christmas story, and, and man, that's, that's a common theme throughout the Christmas story is peace. You see peace in all sorts of different ways, verbal, verbalized, but also just seen. But what's also interesting is throughout the Christmas story, man, there's no reason there should be peace. <laughs> Plans change throughout the entire Christmas story. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bible, head to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. And he, each of the Gospels give a, a different a different perspective of the account of Jesus' birth in the Christmas story. Uh, what we see in Matthew is he spends quite a bit of time focusing on Joseph, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, uh, prior to his birth, but even in the early years after his birth. And you're going to see a common thread as we look at these. So if you, like I said, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to go through uh, several verses. I'll put them on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind, oh, we've been there, don't we? Well, I have in my mind, I have my ideas, I have my plan, so he developed a plan of his own. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, which for him, that would have made sense he had no idea how his future wife, his fiance, got pregnant, but he, know, he knew it wasn't from him. And so he's like, uh, this doesn't add up. So he's like, well, I, I'm a righteous man. I, I don't want to see her disgraced publicly. So he had a plan. He had in his mind what he would do, and that was to divorce her quietly. Joseph had a plan. But as we know, those plans don't always go the way we expect them. Verse 20, here's the change of plans. But after he had considered this, in other words, after he had planned it all out, after he had thought through it, he had vetted it, he had probably prayed about it, he came up with his plan. And after all of that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be, and what's that say? Do not be what? Mm, do not be afraid. Those plans that you had, man, they're gone. The new plans that you've made, I'm about to change them. Do not be afraid to do this, to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel goes on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now this angel comes to Joseph and says, time out. I know you've got your plans. You're aiming to go this direction, and that's understandable. But actually, we're going to do this. Joseph, here's what I want you to do. And it's a radical change of plans. He was going to divorce his fiancée, his future wife. And the angel said, no, don't divorce. <laughs> don't divorce her. No, take her home, marry her. Here's why. So he had to totally change his plans, not slightly, but completely. Completely. And here's what he does. After that change of plans was presented to him by the angel, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. If you're taking notes, underline that. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph had his plans, plans for a great family, this, this woman that he's grown to love, the future that they'll have together, all of a sudden change because now she's pregnant. So he decides, well, I, I, can, I can work with this. I can adjust my plans. I'll just divorce her quietly. We'll both go on our ways. No, the angel says, no, another change of plans. And he says, I want you to continue with the original plan. Go back and, yes, continue to marry her. It's a massive change of plans. And what's interesting is that didn't happen to Joseph just one time. I mean, I would think if I'm Joseph, that's enough change for a lifetime, <laughs> what he just experienced. But what we see, if you go into chapter 2, in three additional occasions, so that one right there what we read, plus three others, Joseph has this change of plans thrown at him. Not the change of plans he would have planned for, but the change of plans that God comes to him and presents. So look at this one. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to go through these kind of quick, but I will put them on the screen. Next chapter, chapter 2, still in Matthew, verses 13 and 14. This is after Jesus was born. The wise men came to visit Jesus, and now they have left. Look at what happens next. Joseph had to be thinking, okay, all these visitors are finally gone. We got the shepherds out. We cleaned up. The, the magi, they're finally gone. Okay, Mary, we can start our family with the Son of God. I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going to lead. And here's what happens. Verse 13. When they had gone, that's talking about the wise men. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he's thinking, not again. Please wake up. The angel says this. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. There's another big change of plans. Uh, we, we, we had our life set here, and, and, and now you're telling me to get up right now. Get up and go and flee to Egypt. But look at what happens. Verse 14, here's what Joseph does. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. They literally got up at night. So, okay, change of plans again, Mary. Let's grab Jesus, and let's head to Egypt. You would have to think like any intelligent wife would, which they all are. They say, well, where are we going? Joseph says, Egypt. Mary says, well, Egypt is pretty big. Yeah, I know. Well, where are we staying? I don't know. Why are we going? God told me in a dream. How long are we going to be there? I don't know. When do we get to come back? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of I don't knows in this. But still, God said through an angel, change of plans. Change of plans. And Joseph continued to follow and adjust. Happens again, still in chapter 2, this time in verse 19. After Herod died, that's the king that was trying to uh, find and kill Jesus. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to a dream to Joseph again, once again, in Egypt, and said, get up, take the child and mother to go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Are you seeing the theme? Mary, I had another dream. Oh, Joseph, please no. <laughs> We're just getting settled in Egypt. Now, we don't know how long they were in Egypt. It could have been a few months. It could have been a couple years. We don't know. But they get in Egypt. They don't know how long they're going to be there. I'm sure, like any family would, they start to put their roots down. They start to get into a norm. They start to get into a routine. And then Joseph gets another dream. Change of plans, the angel says. Go back to Israel. Go back to Israel. Well, where exactly? Well, I don't know. When do we have to leave? Now? Well, I guess so. So they pack up and they leave again. One more time. A total of four times. Verse 22, but when Herod heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Here's why he was afraid. Having been warned in a dream, of course, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled 
what was said through the prophet, that he would be called a Nazarene. Four different occasions within a, about a maximum of a two to three year window, maybe even shorter, Joseph had some great plans and vision and ideas for his family. And along the way, four major changes happened. All of them initiated by God through a messenger, through an angel. And each and every one of those times, when, when the angel said, no, no, do this. No, it's time to do this. The commonality is not just the change, but for me the commonality and what's fascinating is how willing Joseph was. In every one of those instances, Joseph never pushed back. I mean, you would have think by maybe the, the third one, maybe, maybe especially by the fourth one. All right, time out. Can we just hold off for a little bit, angel of God? Can, we, can, I, can I get settled for a little bit? He never pushed back. He never asked, well, why exactly? Now, granted, the angel in, in most of these instances did give Joseph some good reason. Joseph, you need to take Jesus and, and his mother to Egypt because somebody's trying to kill you. I get it. That makes total sense. We'll leave tonight. <laughs> But some of these other ones, you're thinking, well, can I ask some questions? You're, you're telling me, like the first visit, the angel says, hey, don't divorce her because she, what she's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't think to ask any questions there. If I'm Joseph, okay, angel, walk me through how this exactly works. Walk me through how I'm supposed to raise you as an infant. How is it? He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't push back. He has no doubt. All he does, and we see this in every time, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. So he got up and left. So he got up and left. So he, every single time after he woke up from this dream where he was visited by an angel, giving him instructions with the change of plan, every single time, the very next part of that is Joseph obeying, immediately obeying. Every single time, in every situation, he said, okay. And he changed his plans without frustration. We don't know if there was disappointment. I would think there had to have been some emotion that we don't read about, but we don't read about it. No pushback. He doesn't, he doesn't ignore God's change of plans for him. He says, okay. And he obeys and he follows and he adjusts his plans. Now, it's not just with Joseph. If you're familiar with the entire Christmas story when you pull in the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and, and even cousin Elizabeth and all those other um, and those other things that we see, those other moments throughout the Christmas story, this change of plans is actually throughout all of that. The wise men, when they came to visit Jesus, they were told, they were given a detour. They were told to go home a different route. That's a pretty big change of plans. Well, instead of going straight up 400, I've got another way for you. You're going to take all the back roads all the way through the mountains. Well, okay then. You've got Mary who, who again, has her plans, and she gets visited by an angel and says, hey, change of plans. You have, you have a child in you, and that child's going to be the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, Emmanuel. Massive change of plans. We see this idea and this theme of God changing people's plans over and over. Now, that doesn't mean God's plans have changed, but we make our plans, don't we? We make our plans, and God says, well, that's a great plan, but mine is this. Mine's better, and so I'm going to need you to adjust. And throughout the Christmas story, we see the changing of plans over and over again, but we also see the immediate obedience of following God in those plans. In each of those situations, whether it's Joseph, Mary, the wise men, shepherds, in any of those situations, there was not pushback, there was not questioning, there was trust. There was an immediate and this ingrained trust that they had in God saying, okay, if you're telling me to go left instead of right, I think right looks great, but I trust you, so I'm going to turn left 
and they followed God every step of the way. And they did it, and they were able to hang on to peace. You got to think, put yourself in Joseph's shoes and in his family's shoes, and that is a lot of life change. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of, I mean, adding an infant. That's the son of God as that infant. There's moving. All of these things, man, that's that's a recipe for high stress, high frustration, high anxiety. Yet they were able to hang on to their peace even in the midst of all of these changes. So back to the question, what do we do now? When life throws us the curveballs, when God throws us into a different direction, how do we maintain and hang on to our peace? And honestly, it all comes down to what we tie ourselves to. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to have Ryan and Savannah. Uh, they coordinate all of our student ministry, so I thought this was a great, great help for a student ministry team. Wouldn't you think so? Oh, yeah, exactly. They'll volunteer for anything. They'll volunteer for anything. All right, so Savannah, come over here. Let me, let me show you how this works out. All right, so uh, which one of you wants to be God? You answered awfully quick to that. Sure you don't want to give that to your wife? or Okay. We're talking about starting a couple's ministry here in the next couple of years. All right, so, so Ryan, you're going to be God, so you, you hold on to that for me. Okay, and, and Savannah, you're going to just be our plans. And, and in this case, you're going to be all of my plans. And so we do that, right? We, we plan where we're going to go to college and what we're going to study. We're going to plan for, for the career we're going to have. We're going to plan for the spouse we're going to marry and the family we're going to have and how many kids we're going to have and the job that we're going to keep into our career and, and the house we're going to live in and the cars that we're going to drive and the church that we're going to go to, which is Mountain Lake Church, by the way. All of these great things that we plan for, we really tie ourselves to those, right? So we tie, hold on real tight, and we don't let go. We say, Man, this is great. I've got some great plans. No matter what, that's the direction I'm going to go, right? Now, we also, if you're a believer, you also have a relationship with God. And so we, of course, uh, as a good Christian, as a good follower, we're going to tie ourselves to God as well. There you go. Wrap that nice. My relationship with God's a little tight. There we go. All right, good. All right. Thank you, God. So what works out well is when God's plans and my plans, when they're the same direction. I can do this with one hand. I can do this while still preaching. This is a piece of cake when God's plans and my plans, when they totally line up. It's not a big deal. Now, as we know, though, our plans tend to adjust a little bit, don't they? I mean, yes, just like Collins demonstrated in our lives earlier this week. Uh, this, this week. So if my plans adjust a little bit, they might get out of sync a little bit. And ooh, okay, so I need to adjust a little bit. I can adjust some. Not a problem. I can still make it work. But then maybe God throws us another curveball, and he starts heading a little further down, and this and so now all of a sudden, it's, well, I'm getting pulled a little bit more. So we try to adjust. No, 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 I can, I can still do both. I still have God, and I still have my plans. But what we tend to see happen is over time and time again, those plans can, I'm not saying they always do, but those plans can pull us, pull us, and pull us completely apart. Now, hey, hold up, man. Goodness gracious. You're going to get some different volunteers next service. Here's what tends to happen. I'm not saying our plans are anti-God. Our plans are great. Joseph had some great plans. They were just were not the same as God's. Do you understand the difference there? This is not my plans are super sinful and God's saying don't do all your super sinful stuff. This is God saying, no, no, I want you to come with me in this direction. We're saying, but God, I'm supposed to go here. I'm supposed to live here and I'm supposed to work here. I'm supposed to have this kind of a family. This is not in my plan, God. And I'm telling you right now, my hands hurt. And I'm tired and I'm getting exhausted and and my arms start to hurt. This is a very difficult and exhausting way to live. But we try to navigate this. Because we say things like, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. Well, 
it's Sunday, so let's make sure this works. Oh, Monday through Saturday. Sorry, God. I mean, we, we, take, we take this back and forth, this tug-of-war mindset with it. Now, here's what's going to have to happen eventually. You can only keep this up for so long. What's going to have to happen eventually is you're going to have to let one of these go. You cannot walk through your life like this. It's not going to work. And Joseph knew that. When we read through the Christmas story, they all knew that. So the question becomes, how do you get through it? How do you maintain peace when plans change? Well, it comes back to like we said earlier. It all depends on what you are tied tightly to. And you say, well, I'm tied to both of these. I know. It means you've got to let one go. Which grip are you going to hold tighter to? Which is going to, when it pulls and pulls and pulls, which one is going to let go first? Joseph very quickly recognized this and said, it's not about my plan. It's about where God is leading me no matter what. And he adjusted. And he followed God exactly where he wanted him to go. But too often we do the opposite. Where we hold on and we say, oh man, God, I'm sorry. I, I really want this to work. So we continue to wrap up in our own plan. Ryan Savannah, thank you guys for making me leave in like this. The question is not just how tightly are you tied to your plans. The question is what are you holding more tightly to? Are you holding more tightly to God or are you holding more tightly to your plans? And you might be saying, but I can do both. I'm sure you can. It's easy when they're all lined up. But at some point, those plans are going to be different. God has a knack for saying, oh, that's a great plan, Brian. Let me send you here instead. I want you to do this instead. That's a good plan. It's not wrong or bad, but it's just not where I want to lead you. Are you willing to let go of your plan so that you can hold on to his? In other words, hold more tightly to God than anything else. Hold more tightly to God than anything else. Jesus even speaks to this. He doesn't use the exact same language, but he says this. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, talking about Jesus, then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, look at this, give up your own way, take your cross daily, take up your cross daily, and what? What's the last one? And follow me. Follow me. Give up your own way, take up his cross, take up your cross daily, and then begin to follow him. Make plans. By all means, plan. But hold it with a loose enough grip that when God starts to lead in another direction, you can let go. You say, okay, God, I'm going to let go of my own way, and I'm going to follow you. There's a word for that. We don't like this word. Sacrifice. We do not like that word. That's exactly what that is. I'm going to sacrifice my plans so I can follow God. When we talk about sacrificing, we tend to jump, well, that, that's financial sacrificing. That's all this and that. Sure, that's part of it. But at the root of it, it's saying, whose way am I going to choose? God's or mine? And if we can do both at the same time, great. But what do we do when we can't? Are we willing to sacrifice, let go of our own ways? Joseph was able to do that. And by doing so, not just follow God, but was able to maintain his peace. Second thing we see Joseph do that works very well in our lives and is a great reminder is just do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Every one of those instances, every single of the four instances where Joseph was visited by an angel, the very next line after the angel gave the instructions says, so he got up. So he got up and left. So he did exactly what the angel commanded him. Every single time, Joseph did the next right thing. He didn't have all the answers. Remember, what did he have? A bunch of I don't knows. He had a bunch of I don't knows. But what he did know, he acted on and followed God in that. I, I do know that I'm supposed to marry Mary. 
okay, I don't know how this is going to work, but I will do my next right thing. I'm supposed to go to Egypt. I don't know exactly where and how long, but I'm going to do the next right thing. We're going to go to Egypt. Time to go back to Israel. Don't exactly know what this is looking at. This is getting a little too familiar, having to go back and forth, but I'm going to do the next right thing. Oh, no, we're not going to that part because that guy's still trying to kill us, so let's go to another part. Okay, the next right thing. And you see that Joseph's life was guided by just the next right step. So often we tend to think, well, I've not heard from an angel of the Lord. I I don't know what my next step is. Let me push back on that. Because so often, I'm not saying God can't do this. God is God. He can speak to us in any way that he wants. I've never been visited by an angel. Not that he can't or won't, but that's just not how he speaks to me. So then I could ask myself, well, how am I supposed to know where God is leading me? How am I supposed to know what God's plans are? How am I supposed to know what the next right thing is for me? Here's what I have been convicted of and what I see throughout scripture is that next right thing, he's already told us. So often we're saying, God, speak to me. God, tell me what you want me to do. And in my heart, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, I have. Have you been looking for what I've already said? See, if we have a relationship with God and we know him, that means the Holy Spirit lives in us and speaks to our heart. That means when we read the word of God and we listen to the word of God, he is directing our steps. The next right step most likely has already been spoken to us. Do we know him and his word well enough to be able to determine what that next step is? Jesus was trying to explain the, the, the method of his relationship with us, and he said it in this way. He said that, I am the good shepherd. This is John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In that same passage in chapter 10, he also speaks to, and I, I know their voice, and, he, and they know my voice. A sheep knows the voice of its shepherd. Same concept. Do we know God well enough, and do we know his word well enough to know when he is speaking to us or not? Or are we waiting for clouds to part and for us to see the next step written in the sky? Not that it can't happen, but I wouldn't encourage you to wait on that to happen. I would encourage you to look through what he has already said because scripture is alive, it's active, it speaks to us. Allow his word to continue to speak to us so we know what our next right step is. Know what your next right step is. If you want to, know him, know what his word says. Last thing I'd encourage you with, and it's more of a question, goes back to peace. Okay, so I do the next right thing, and I make sure that I'm not holding too tightly to my plans, but I'm willing to hold more tightly to God and his plans and and where he's leading me. All of that can still be done, and it can be a miserable life. I know a lot of miserable Christians. (laughs) We can follow God and still be anxious. We can follow God and still be frustrated. We can follow God and, again, be miserable. So how do we be like Joseph and follow, Joseph and follow God but maintain our peace? The question would be more, where does your peace come from? Where do you look for peace? Where, where are we trying to find peace? What do we try to do to obtain peace? What do we try to do to keep peace? Because what we tend to do is we tend to, well, if my problems go away, then I'll have peace. Well, if all my plans work out, then I'll be able to keep my peace. So we tend to tie peace to our problems or lack of and our plans working out the way that we would want them to. First of all, those things aren't going to happen. We're, all gonna, we're always going to have problems. Our plans are never going to work out perfectly. So that's a recipe for peace that's never going to exist. But we can have plans that don't work out. We can continue to have problems and still have peace if we're finding the right kind of peace in the right person. Jesus speaks to us about this. Here's what he says in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things, and he had just listed out all sorts of things that were going to happen. 
I've told you these things so that in who? Who's it say there? In me. Talking about Jesus. In me, you may have, and there's the word, peace. So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You should write that down. That was the best thing you're probably, you probably heard all morning. On a Sunday morning, your preacher said, yes, we will have trouble. No amens to that? No hallelujahs? Nothing? All right. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Boy, that, that tells us exactly how we find peace, keep peace, and maintain peace. In him. Jesus says, only in me will you find peace. Only in me will I be able to give you peace. Because you will have trouble, you will have problems, your plans aren't always going to work out. But take heart. Take heart. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. It doesn't say, but take heart because you are going to overcome the world. It doesn't say, take heart because Brian has overcome the world. No, Jesus says, take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. As long as we're following him, we can trust him and we can have that peace that his scripture tells us passes all of our understanding. We may not understand it, we may not totally get it, but we can trust him just like Joseph did, just like the wise men did, just like Mary did. And regardless of what plans may change, we can still have peace. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we holding more tightly to? This is not a picture of peace. <laughs> what are we going to be willing to let go? What are we willing to sacrifice to continue to follow him? Are we willing to know what he says and to know him well enough so we do know what our next right step is? We might not know the 10-year plan. All of these things that happened to Joseph were pretty short notice if you didn't catch that. <laughs> Leave tonight. Get up and go now. Go home and marry Mary. All these things were pretty quick. He didn't say, let me give you a heads up. Three years from now on this date, here's what's going to happen. We love asking for that to happen. He says, no, I'm going to wait until the night of and let you know exactly what's happening. Be willing to know him well enough and what his word says to do the next right thing. When it comes down to it, your peace can only be found in Jesus. Let me say that again. Your peace can only be found in Jesus. Uh, so many faces I don't know and don't recognize, and, and mo almost all of you, I don't know all of your stories. But if your story is anywhere close to mine, I know that it's a constant search for peace. And in that constant search for peace, we're tempted to look for peace in all sorts of different areas, in all sorts of different ways, with all sorts of different people. Every one of those is going to lead to the opposite of peace. We will not obtain it. Peace is only found in Jesus, God's one and only son. And if you don't have him living in you like he promises he will, you're chasing after the unobtainable. But we in, when we invite Jesus into our lives, it's not just about being saved. Obviously, that's the eternal piece of that. But does that mean we have the hope of heaven with a miserable life on earth? No. We have the hope for heaven, the peace that will come in heaven, but we also have a peace now. As long as we will allow him to live in us. In 1818, there's a small town um, just on the border of Austria. And there is this, this preacher, this pastor of that small town, as you can imagine, very, very small church. They were two days away from their Christmas Eve service. So he's preparing just like, you know, we're doing now, uh, getting his message ready, getting his songs all ready. And as they're getting everything ready, his organ goes out. Now, to us, that doesn't mean anything because we don't have an organ here, if you haven't noticed. Uh, but it would be like us preparing for Christmas Eve and all the lights going out, none of the instruments work, the building catches on fire and blows up. That's probably what it would have felt like for this poor preacher getting ready for his small church and the organ went out. He had to have been somewhat frantic. I can't believe it. We cannot have Christmas Eve without the organ. 
I've never known myself to say that, by the way. But you can imagine, I mean, put it in context of what that would have been like. It would have been devastating. And what he did was he kept his cool, and he rummaged through some old notes, and he had written a poem about two years prior. So he took that poem, and, and again, two days before his service, he walked over to his organist, who was at this point out of a job, and said, I've got an idea. I know we don't have an organ, but we have Christmas Eve coming up. I've got a poem that maybe we could just sing a cappella. Could you put a melody to it? Could you sing it? Because none of us pastors ever sing, so we always go to our worship leader and say, help us out. So he took this poem to his organist, and that same night, they were able to put music to this poem that he had written. When it hit Christmas Eve, the congregation came, and they were all, I'm, I'm sure, just totally worried that there would not be an organ. And sure enough, when they got there, they noticed that the organ still didn't work. And so this pastor and his organist stood up there and sang a song that we now sing almost all the time, but they did it a cappella. And it was the first time that this song had ever been sung because it, again, was a poem that this man had written a couple years prior. And it was the poem that we translate into Silent Night. And that poem of Silent Night came out of plans going wrong, <laughs> majorly wrong. But that Christmas carol that we become so attached to is now being sung as with music and, and with the lights and everything else. But at the heart of that song is no matter what, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what comes our way, we will still glorify the king. So I've asked Sean, and Sean's going to start making your way up here. Um, I said, Sean, we need to keep the lights on and everything, but what would it have been like for that congregation to, to understand that, man, things just didn't go well, things didn't go right, and so here they are on a stage thinking, what are we going to do? And so they sing this song completely a cappella, and so I've totally put Sean on the spot, where I'm going to have us do the exact same thing. And uh, what I want you to be thinking through is exactly what that pastor would have been thinking through when he learned that his organ stopped working, which the rumor goes that mice had chewed it all through. So who couldn't have seen that one coming, right? I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your weeks are starting to look like. But whatever those uncertainty things are, whatever change of plans you've been thrown, whatever plans may get changed and you don't even know about it yet, God is still God. He is still good. And can we keep our peace even in the midst of this? So I'm going to pray, and then Sean's going to lead us a cappella with Silent Night. Jesus, we recognize you. We glorify you no matter what happens. Situations and circumstances change. Our plans change. You direct us at different times. And we can become frazzled and frustrated, disappoint, disappointed, anxious, worried, upset, and miserable. Or... We can remember that we're following the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of all the universe. And we can remember that we're following you and that we can now have peace because you are in us. So God, I pray that as we think on and we, we allow our hearts to, to meditate on the things that are going wrong, may it not stop there, but may it push forward into the things that you will lead us to and the peace that we can have because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand with me.